On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we talk Christmas in just the most Christmas way possible. Debt. We Hamiltonians, while the rest of Canada seems to be reining it in and getting smart, we Hamiltonians continue to spiral into debt like no one else. Why is that happening and what can we do about it? Also, did you hear about the people in Ottawa, well, the person in Ottawa, the idiot, shall we call them, in Ottawa, who decided that a bunch of neighborhood kids should not have an outdoor rink because it's an eyesore. Let the rage begin. Coming up on the podcast. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. It's Christmas time. We're buying presents. We're probably overspending, many of us. You think, oh, I've finished now. I've, oh, I've kept it in check. I, you know, I haven't gone over my limit. And then you see something else that you got to get. And then it's, oh, that was for one of my kids. Now I got to buy it for the other one of my kids to balance it out. And by the time Christmas rolls around, as is the case always, we're way over our limit. But it's not even just Christmas that's the problem. Story that was out today in the spec. A new Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation study has found Hamilton was worse than the national average when it came to the ratio between debt and disposable income. And the city had the fourth highest rate behind Vancouver, Toronto, and Victoria. Hamilton also the, saw the biggest debt versus inco- income increase in the country over the past year. While it seems as though many people in this country are trying to get their hands around their debt, to try and rein in their spending, to try and get their finances in order, those of us in Hamilton, for a variety of reasons, seem to be heading the other direction Don Fox is with the Investors Group. He is the co-host of Planning Your Financial Future, which you can hear every Saturday morning on 900 CHML. He joins me now. Don, how are you today? I'm doing great, Scott. How about yourself? I am doing well, thank you. I don't believe that I've broken my my budget yet. I don't believe I'm bankrupt for Christmas, so so far I'm off to a good start. That's, uh, <laughs> that's a nice start. I was hearing last week that Canadians, Canada's household debt right across the country was starting to beginning to go down a bit. And then I read this story that says that here in Hamilton and Victoria, Vancouver, Toronto, the four places, but Hamilton especially, we are heading the other direction. Are we just slow learners around here or is there something else going on? Well, we can now say we beat the Canadian average. (laughs) Yeah, maybe not the thing we want to, but you're right. Yes, unfortunately, it's the wrong way. And you know what? It it really comes down to housing prices here. Uh, People have moved from, you know, outside a lot, a lot closer to Toronto and making the commute now because it became so expensive in Toronto to buy a house. They're now saying, okay, let's go to say Oakville, then Burlington. And then Burlington went out of reach and now Hamilton. So you're getting a lot of, call it Toronto money coming this way. And, you know, these are people that couldn't afford houses closer and they're taking, you know, especially with the GO train um, in Hamilton, they're now taking the GO train in and it, it's quite convenient. But again, it's it's taken a beating on as far as housing prices. Housing prices in the Hamilton area have doubled in the last 10 years. And I don't think wages have doubled in the last 10 years. Well, maybe yours, not mine. <laughs> so, and again, so that kind of speaks to a rate there. If, if, if one doubles and your incomes don't double, then therefore our, our debt to income ratios are getting worse. And you're right, uh, Hamilton has nudged slightly above the Canadian average. It's 176% of your income. So if you made a household income of 100000 you owe, you owe 176 Certainly uh, the high end, almost record setting. It got over 180%. Uh, and again, 
I would suggest that Edmonton, Calgary, Halifax, they're all very close. They're all over the 150%. We just happened to recently gotten above the 170 and, and beat the Canadian average. I'm actually, I would think though that number, I want, there's a few things I want to get to here, but I would think that number is actually brought down. If we're at 176, is brought down by the fact that we have a lot of people who already own their own homes because anybody who's bought in the last five or six years, it would be way more than 176. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And this is the, this is the scary thing about averages. And I'm glad you brought that up, Scott, because I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, wow, you know, there's so many people that are making, say, less than 100,000. And they've got mortgages of three, four, five hundred thousand, and so yeah, they are well above that that percentage. And averages really mask the reality. So I'd love to break that down. And and if you said who who bought a house in say the last three years, what was their average? Um, because obviously the ones that bought you know ten years ago are also in this average. Is it? Do you chalk it up almost exclusively this number that we're talking about? This story that our household debt has gone up. Do you chalk it up almost exclusively to housing? Yes, actually, in this particular case, yeah, uh, that as well. And again, this is a house related though, with interest rates um, lowering over the last number of years to you know record lows. They've since gone up in the last year, as we all know, about a percent, but with human nature is they look at payments. They don't look at debt. So they say, what can I afford per month? So then that what it, what it does is skews the amount of debt they have. So if they could have only afforded, say, 200000 of debt five years ago, but now they can afford 300000 of debt because their payment's lower, human nature says, I'm going to get up to 300000 They don't even really look. And I find this all the, uh, happens all the time with clients. They just look at the payment. And, and I have to really drill down with clients. And say, well, so what was the full debt? And so, yeah, and I have to bring out the papers. Oh, wow, it's uh, 250000 or whatever the amount was. Because everybody looks at payment and really you got to look at the debt because that full debt has to get repaid, obviously, at some point in time. With the prices of housing around here, that you have to live somewhere. You have no choice. There has to be some place where you lay your head. So what do you do? If the housing, housing prices, do you just have to keep moving further and further away or do you just absorb the fact that you're going to be this far in debt? Yes, and that's uh, it. It's really comes down to lifestyle, and you look at how much does the commute cost. Sometimes, if you do the cost-benefit analysis, it's it's hardly worth driving that extra twenty minutes or traffic or cost in the car, etc., to live further away, even though you it's a cheaper house or a less expensive house. So, example, you know, you could have gone as far as Brantford, but and saved another say thirty thousand dollars on a house. But is it worth doing that? And again, it comes down to go train services. A lot of other factors get into it. So I. We often, you know, you look at the cost-benefit analysis and you sometimes you have to bite the bullet. It just doesn't make sense. You know, of course, just your own time. You have to put some something on that, too. If you you have to pay for babysitters, if you're, you know, working families and so forth, or, or it, it, it really does cost a lot of money. So at the end of the day, you do have to look at the big picture. And the mortgage debt is, is probably the biggest debt you're going to have. So if you do have to take on extra shifts because you want to live there or... Um, a part-time job for one of the spouses, or a lot of them are not actually renting part of the house now. And that's, you know, that's a great alternative and therefore helping to pay down this debt quicker. Um, my one good thing that I, I do notice through this mortgage debt service ratios is as the rates have lowered over the last few years, far greater amount has gone to the principal repayment than the interest repayment. So people are paying down the principal. And I'll put it, I'll give you an example here. If you go 10 years ago, normally 6% of all your payments, so if you made, 
after expenses, uh, uh, you know, taxes, etc., you made $60,000, 6% would go to a mortgage payment. Well, 10 years ago, 4% of that would go to interest and 2% would go to principal. So about two-thirds interest, one-third principal. Now it's, now it's 50-50. So it, people were really trying to pay down the debt with the interest rates going down. It has started to tick back up again, and that's purely because interest rates have started to rise again. Well, and there's also the other side of it is if we have a house that is expensive, that if, the, again, my ch- I don't have a choice or I've decided for whatever reason, I also do want to live. I also do want to maybe go out for a meal once in a while and I maybe want to go on a trip once in a while. And so you decide, okay, am I going to live or am I going to only be house poor and put every dime into my house? And I think what I'm seeing anyway, a lot of people are saying, wait a second, I don't want to do nothing except pay, except yeah. pay for my house. And so it just slows everything down again. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even with great intention, people say, I'm going to just, cut back for a year or two, but again, they get bored of that in a hurry, and they say, well, you can't hurt this little bit. And you do have to, you know, it's just, it's just a factor of money coming in and expenses going out. Something's got to give. And, and really, this is where we're getting some credit issues. Our people are getting in trouble with the payday loans becoming popular when interest rates start to go or they get too much of a house, or even the, uh, the uh, food banks. They, they get taxed, and it's an interesting. Even Burlington, which you'd consider one of the, you know, fairly well-off cities in in Canada, their food banks are are used quite frequently, and these are people that have you know live in very nice areas. So something has to give, and it just comes down money management. Uh, how much I get, how much money is coming in after tax, how much you get to keep, and how much you want to go against debt and other things. I would guess that, Don, as a financial planner, as someone who works in this field, by nature, you are required to be a bit of a, a cautious person, maybe a bit of a pessimist, um, <laughs> biz- professionally anyway, just to make sure that people don't l- blow things and don't screw up their, their finances. And yet, you know, we've heard a lot in recent months and years about the day is coming when a recession has to happen. We, we always have a cycle where there is one coming. It may not be this year, it may not be next year, but it is coming with the amount of debt that people are holding, how devastating could that actually be if and when that happens? Yes. Uh, if employment, obviously, if somebody lost their job, and that would be the biggest devastation because now they can't make the payment. The fact of interest rates rising a bit, I love what Canada has done in terms of how putting a stress test on, on how much a person can afford for a house. So they artificially make them test for a, say, a 7% mortgage, even though they can get a 5% mortgage. And that's great, because if interest rates do rise, they can afford that extra 2%. So that part's good, but absolutely, if there's a recession, they would be in trouble, and that's when the domino effect, they say, okay, I can always sell the house. But if there's a recession, and there's a lot of people selling the houses, the housing market starts to go down, too. We saw this in, say, the early 90s, and we saw houses rise, basically very similar to this in Hamilton. They doubled in about four years, and then we had a recession in the early 90s, and then they went down about 25%. So things happen, and you do you do not want to take on more than you can chew, so to speak. But it, it's hard because, again, you want to get a house. You see them continually rise. When do you jump in? And, then of course, Murphy's Law, if you jump in right at the top, and then they go down, and, you know, it's it, it's just tough. So then some people do, unfortunately, get in trouble, and this is where nobody wants to see anybody lose a house, and it's and it's devastating. 
and, the, and I, you're right. I'm, a, I'm probably on the cautious side because I, I err on that side. The last thing I want to do is see somebody get in trouble financially. Don Fox, uh, you can hear him here every Saturday planning your financial future. I hope that wasn't too depressing for the week before Christmas, Don. <laughs> Merry, Merry, Merry Christmas. Yeah, exactly. Christmas, All um, the same to you, know, you Don. Again, even this time of year, uh, it's, it's very tempting yes, to spend absolutely. a lot of money on different things. And this is, it is a tough time of year from reeling in expenses. I'm not suggesting you reel them in any way, but there's a lot of areas that you can say cut back a bit and nobody would notice any difference. Exactly. You might be $1,000 better off. That could go against your mortgage. Don, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Anytime, Scott. Don Fox. You can catch him again Saturday mornings. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We bring in Don Robertson. There's no reindeer named Don either nope. that I know of. Close, though. Somewhat. Yep, could be. Somewhat. Um, Watched uh, Christmas Vacation yesterday. How could you not? So the I saw it on TV. Like to, uh, I like to wait till it snowed, but on we went with it. Our family watches every year. For, for many years when they were very young, there were two scenes that we fast-forwarded over every year. <laughs> And now they, uh, we still sometimes fast forward over them, but it, they've heard all those things by now. But yes, it's a, uh, it's a classic. It is the classic. And, and if you're calling in, by the way, for the screen test on Thursday, you can feel reasonably confident at least one of the answers will be from Christmas Vacation. Just saying, because to me, it is the Christmas classic. It's 30 years old. I know. If you, have you seen Chevy Chase lately? He doesn't look like that Clark W. Griswold anymore. No, he's uh, but he's quit drinking, and uh, but he was uh, he was in a bit of a slump. It looked like for a while, but he's uh, but apparently he's doing well now, and that's good. <laughs> you and I probably could sit here. We're not going to because we don't want to completely bore everybody and just recite lines from yes. Christmas Vacation for the next hour or two. It would not be <laughs> difficult to do, and a lot of people could do it as well. Don, you know, we're, we're chatting about a funny, wonderful Christmas movie, funny things, great memories, all that kind of stuff. Um, in Ottawa, right now, oh. yeah, you know the story I'm going to go to here. We are a country that has a long, rich, glorious, wonderful, lovely, memorable, all those words, history with hockey. We grew up, many people playing hockey outside. It's our national, it's our national game. Well, in Ottawa this week... A guy builds, as he has for years and years, builds an outdoor hockey rink on his front lawn for his neighborhood kids and his daughters to play on. And I went and looked at the pictures and looked at the video, and it is an innocuous hockey rink. When, he, when it's described as a hockey rink, when I first heard this story, I thought, oh man, this guy has gone all Clark W. Griswold and built Maple Leaf Gardens version on the front lawn. No, it's, it is your typical neighborhood hockey rink that is a piece of plastic that someone's poured water on and put up little six-inch boards all around the outside, and that's the extent of it. Well, as is always seemingly the case, there is some idiot neighbor out there, always anonymous, by the way, never has the guts to come forward and say who they are, who has called the authorities and complained that it's an eyesore in the community and it's, a not, it's something that should not be allowed, and the city of Ottawa has now forced this family to take this rink down. What's going on? How how in Canada? I know it's Ottawa, it's not Hamilton, but how in Canada have we got to this point? Too many idiots. Yes, I'll I'll go with that. Um, 
here's the thing that astonishes me. First of all, I'd heard that he'd put boards up this year. Yeah, and, and I, I, I saw find the out they're two by eights. Yeah, like two inches wide, eight inches high. Yeah, I said six, but yeah, they're eight. But okay, they're so. but it's not like the rink boards with. That's what I thought. Tim Hortons and Molson's on them. Yeah, that's what I thought when I first heard that he put up boards, and I'm like, okay, well, this is going to be a lot. No, it's not. So, I find a little bit of fault with the city of Ottawa, and Jim Watson's a pretty good guy. The mayor. The mayor. Um, I find it absolutely astonishing that they would go out and take a look at this thing quickly enough to have it dismantled. I mean. I'm sure that the city of Ottawa don't act that quickly on a number of complaints. And all they had to do was go to their Christmas break. And, uh, you know, 1st of January, you go in by 1st of February, they order them to take it down. So I find fault with that. But more importantly, I mean, talking about the Grinch, the guy does it for the community. Now, you have to assume that they're fairly decent homes in all probability. I didn't see the picture. If they've got big enough backyard or front yards to put the arena on it or the ice surface on it, then, you know, it's not a condo. Yeah, this is, uh, for the record, so people know, this is a side yard. It looks like the last house on the end of a street. It's on a corner lot, it looks like. And so it's along the side of the house. I I know what I'd do. I would get every ugly pickup truck I could and the ugliest bunch of crap that would be legally allowed and put it there and say, yep, you're right, the rink was awful, but don't mind, you know, my grandfather's pickup truck just because it's up on, on blocks. I mean, I would get even with that that guy if it was the last, and I'd find out who he was too, and I'd, I'd get my spotlights out and I'd point them at his house. I would be the biggest pain in the butt um, you'd ever seen. I think that's just god-awful. And I bet you the neighbors know. The I bet you the neighbors have sure figured it out. Sure they know. The neighbors surely have figured it out. And we had one here years ago with someone, uh, a woman with a, a one of those orange hockey balls went into her flower bed called the city and the, it, for a while, led to the ban of street hockey in Hamilton. I, what I don't understand is how there, if there are bylaws that exist that prevent this and the city comes, then I guess they have no choice but to enforce it. I don't understand how the, this, this is to me municipal politics run amok, that there are bylaws that exist like this. Surely at some point someone said, wait a second, is this a bylaw we need to pass in the city? Sometimes, I've Don, I've said this on this show before, sometimes I think municipal politicians, at times, not all of them, not all the time, but there are times when municipal politicians feel like in order to justify their wages, they have to pass new laws to do something and you end up with some of these that are incredibly stupid that somebody should have at the beginning when this thing was first raised said, hold on a second. We can maybe make a bylaw that allows for us to crack down if this thing is firing pucks into neighbor's windows or if we're, you know, whatever. But just to build a rink on your lawn should not be a bylaw. There should be no bylaw in any place in Canada that bans you from building a backyard rink or a side yard rink, period. Well, and, and, and you may, in fact, be able to do it in your backyard. And, you know, I like all municipal politicians. I think they're well-founded. I think they're well-intended. But oftentimes, small things like this, and it probably won't say you can't build an outdoor rink in your front yard or your side yard. It will say that you can't have unsightly 
things and or structures. And likely what changed is if he hasn't used boards before, now he's using boards. So they're suggesting it's a more permanent structure. If I'm the guy, just take the boards down. If it's all froze up now. But if I'm, but if it's just that simple and we don't know, so we're, we're just playing back and forth here, but if it's as simple as saying it's unsightly, if unsightly was, for example, the word, you send the person out to investigate this and you're the head of the whatever department and you say, unless this thing truly looks like you've built the Berlin wall, just say it's not unsightly and come home. Come back to the office. Like the, you could easily do this and, and unsightly, if that was to be a word that was, or some other thing like that, there's so much interpretation there. You could just have this neighbor have to be arguing this forever and, and, and let it go on forever. Well, what my, my initial point was for the municipality in the city of Ottawa would be drag your feet a little bit, rag the puck, get back to them in mid-January. And by the time they got to take it down, it's... Uh, warm enough that they don't need it any longer. I mean, there was there was a way to get around this. And uh, because I, I'm sure there are many frustrated uh, residents of Ottawa who have been calling the bylaw department and, and wanting weeds dealt with and all kinds of things. Fences moved or that whatever That are going, else. really? And you respond in 15 minutes about an outdoor rink in Ottawa? You kidding me? I Look, I, I, if this was in my neighborhood... And I'm all in favor of something like this, but I would understand if this is in my neighborhood and as I say, they start firing pucks and the neighbor has five pucks go through of their course. window. That's a different story. And there's no evidence of that kind of thing going. That's not what this is about. This is a, a visual. This one daughter's four. She's probably not firing pucks across the street into oh. the neighbor's window. Well, she has let her go. Well, yeah, if she is, the national team yeah, should, be, right. uh, should be scouting her now. Call her up when she's seven. Uh, just, I just, I'm with you. I, no, it's the idiot. The idiot level, the Grinch level of people is just stunning to me. If you have kids that actually want to be outside playing, doing something and not being on the TV and not being on their phones, yeah. for heaven's sakes, there are, our, our encourage world. Encourage it. Our world has become stock full of people with far too much time on their hands. I mean, there's a particular song that's now been banned by multiple radio stations that they're calling a Christmas carol that has no more to do with Christmas than Red Skelton. And uh, so you can't have that. It was written 71 years ago, but they banned it as a Christmas carol, and it's not even a Christmas carol. How much time? And and, and the song I'm talking about, the reason I don't, I feel. The one that we're going to play coming in from the next break? Probably. Yeah. The, the one, uh, the, sure, that's great. The The thing I like about the the song is all the social media reaction from the women who are saying, get real, get over yourself. I, I hope, not because I want someone to take any kind of weird justice against this person's vigilante justice. But I just hope that this person who complained, like in every Christmas- call for Christmas? In every Christmas movie, there's someone who is the bad neighbor. Yeah. And at the end, whether it's, Bo- you know, whether it's the Grinch or whether it's uh, in- Todd. In, whatever. Todd, yes, Todd and Margot from Christmas Vacation. <laughs> I don't know Todd. <laughs> I don't know Margot, whatever that was. Um, or, or whether it's, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge or whoever at the end, they always, except for Todd and Margot, they always end up coming around. I hope that's the case here, that some that somehow this person goes, wait, what? why am I doing this? 
Why am I making this much of a fuss for a bunch of kids? Let it go. I, I'm, maybe I'm dreaming in Technicolor. Maybe I'm watching too many Christmas movies. Probably they're going to be digging in their heels more because now they're looking bad and they don't want to. I think your cup's half full. Good for you. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Scott Radley Show in studio with Don Robertson. I never introduced you before, by the way. Don Robertson of the Dundas Real McCoys of Com Choice Realty. Of um, of strong statements about the JL Great Meyer Arena, you can read those in the Spectator, along with a lot of other people who are ticked off. Uh, let's talk some hockey, Don. Still different kind of hockey, though. I did. Lo- I was looking something up today. How many players in the NHL right now? Wild guess. How many players in the NHL do you think, on average, get more ice time per game than Austin Matthews? Fifteen. Two hundred and thirty-six players get more average ice time I said per 215, game. Two hundred and fifteen, didn't I? Than Austin Matthews. Well, I, I can tell you why. Why he missed fifteen games? No, no, but average. That's I in games he played. Look, I'm I trying I, to dig out. I don't. I don't criticize Mike Babcock on a lot of stuff because he's obviously been a very successful coach. His team is close to the top of the standings. So let me prorate but, it for you. How many, and you probably don't know the answer to this, how many of the 215 are defensemen, first There's a bunch, There's a, but there's a lot of forwards. I, I looked okay. it up. There's a lot of defensemen. There's four Leaf defensemen who all have more time than that, but that's the defensemen. more time to think about no, no. this, because as I think about it now, so defensemen would be prime suspects. I bet uh, you that your there's- Your top two defensemen in every team. Yeah, there's 60 or 70 forwards who are going to be on this list, okay. minimum, so minimum. You, you will see that those 60 or 70 forwards likely play with a group- that have no depth. Like the other night, Florida, I was uh, listening to the wrap-up of the game while driving home uh, Saturday night, and that kid that scored the hat trick got the game winner, played 27 minutes. And that's that's too much. That There's is no question insane. that's too much. So when you look at bad teams that have like three good forwards, they're all going to play more than, than Austin Matthews, and it speaks to their depth. I, Sorry, I, I knocked you No, 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 I agree. That said, y- you've coached, you've been around hockey long enough to know that when guys get some more ice time, they often get into a bit more of a rhythm, they get the feel for the game. The Leafs have three outstanding centers right now, two superstars and one guy who's pretty good yeah. in Tavares and Matthews and Kadri. Who you have on your fourth line, to me, for the Leafs, should be rather irrelevant. If you've got three lines like that, those three should be getting, well, the math would work out to almost 20 minutes a game. You throw in the fourth line for maybe five, so, or four, or three. But I would have, I, I don't know how Matthews, he's, I think he's at about 18 and a half minutes. 17, 18 minutes, something like that. 18 to 18 and a half. How that guy doesn't have 21 or 22 minutes. He may, he may by the end of the year. you got to remember. He didn't last year. He didn't the year before. That was a big complaint that he seemed to have with Babcock. That he didn't get played that much. So many guys got more ice time than him. Now, I don't know if Babcock thinks that he's not in shape and has to stay fresh or what, but I, I just I cannot believe that when you've got a guy who is considered to be one of the top handful of players in the league that you allow 236 other guys to get on the ice more than him. That doesn't make any sense to me. No, it's... it's, it's it, it, no question, it's odd. And Tavares is just slightly above him. 
So you've got these two guys who by next year will probably be making 23, 24 million combined. Why are you paying them that much money if you're not going to play them at least among the leaders in in ice time? You mean make them earn it? No, I think they've I think they're going to earn it with their skill, but if you yeah, look but if at they these, play more, you should win more if they're, they're your, your best players. I, that's my point. That's what I agree with. I think that that is the case and I think and and where this becomes more confusing is that last year in the playoffs you go, oh, well, okay, Babcock was saving them for the playoffs, but now he's going to play the heck out of them. He didn't. It stayed largely the same. Stayed largely the same. This is not a, we got to rest the guys up until they get to the playoffs. So I, this is one that I just don't understand. I, if I was, I'm not an NHL coach, but this to me seems like if you've got the best players, two of the best players or three, I'm having them on the ice all the time. As much as is reasonable without destroying these guys. Especially right now when they're not winning. Connor McDavid played something like 26, 27 minutes the other night. Yeah. And what's happened since he's since Hitchcock has got that team? He's cranked up Connor McDavid's ice time. I don't know if it's sustainable. Yeah, but Hitch will know when to cut him back. I mean, he's and it, it coincides with the fact that they're having far more success than they used to. That's my, yeah. Right. And so, so when you get in, your, speaks to your point. When right? you get into a game where you're suddenly up by three or four goals. Then you play your fourth line a lot more and you give a guy a quiet night. Yep. But if you're down, how is he, if they're, if the Leafs are down a goal or two, like they were down to Florida in that game, they were down to Tampa. I'm going back and forth between Tavares and Matthews. I may throw Kadri on a wing for a line or two and then throw Kadri at center to buy them a shift now and again. Yep. You've got two of the best centers in the league. They should be on there all the time. I agree. I don't. I don't get it. I, it's of all the things that, of all the things that Babcock does. And again, I, you know, Babcock is a good coach. He's a proven coach. There's no question about that. It's 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 picking at small potatoes here. But it, you're paying these guys, and you want these guys to have the ice time they do. I just don't get it. Well, he and Hitchcock aren't on the same page on that. Clearly. That said, the Leafs are blessed to have three, two superstar centers, and. Uh, Third line center in Cadre that would be a second line center on over twenty teams in the league, likely. Yeah, but I'm saying if you have fifteen minutes for Cadre and twenty or twenty one for Matthews and Tavares, and then you fill the fourth line with whatever other minutes yep. are there. Well, you got penalty kill and power play in there too, so it's not all five on five and for I, sixty minutes. But but Matthews and and uh, Tavares are going to get their turn on the power play far more than anybody else is, so that should contribute as well. Now, they're not killing penalties, or Matthews doesn't kill a lot of penalties for him, so... No, but but even then, uh, as you point out, your time on the power play should more than yeah, should compensate for that. It should, because they're getting, they're getting plenty of turns. I... It's a, it's a it's a head-scratcher to me, especially after last year, when at the end of the year we heard all that stuff about how Babcock and Matthews were butting heads a little bit, and, and and I thought, oh well, you know what? If I'm guessing that Matthews, he certainly proved himself. Maybe Babcock is going to say, fine, you want more ice time, you prove it. You go on there. I'm going to give you tons, and you just. Yep. I almost wonder, Don. I almost wonder, and I don't know if this is too conspiratorial. I almost wonder in a contract year if they're scared to put him on for those extra two or three minutes a game because of what his stats might do and how much that might extra might cost them. Yeah, but if, if, if it's a fine line, right? Because it's a contract year, 
you you want your guy to be happy. You want him to want to come back. So, you know, Phoenix is where he grew up. And if Phoenix think that he can put some people in the building and pay for himself, they're going to offer him the max. And then the Leafs are going to have to match it. And then you and I are going to be playing in the fourth line for 45 bucks a year because there's going to be no money left. Well, I don't, th- I don't know if they would. Phoenix could give him something like $18 million, yep. I think, is the max that you could actually give in the NHL now. And the Leafs couldn't do that. They couldn't do that. They couldn't do that and keep a bunch of other guys. They, they might have to. Hence you and I in the fourth line. Well, or they do it. Or they do it, and you, then you got to get rid of a guy like Kadri, and you got to get a, a Kapanen yep. and some other guys, and then what's left of your team? So I don't know, though. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. You play the guy more, not less. He's Especially a, a young guy. He's not He's 35 years old. No. He's not you and me. What is he, 21? Maybe. 20, 21, 22, maybe at the most, 22. I know what I was doing at 22, and I wasn't playing in the NHL, but I could have certainly had enough stamina to run around for a while and not get all that tired. <laughs> not like now. <laughs> now I do this show and I'm fatigued. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Back to sports, back to hockey, back to the Leafs, in fact. A lot of talk in the last few weeks, even though we're still a long way away from the playoffs, a lot of talk around Maple Leaf fans because it appears that the playoff matchups are almost set already for the Leafs <laughs> because of the way the NHL has now set their playoff system, which is we want you to play teams in your own division first. And we want to build these rivalries, blah, blah, blah. Well, the problem the Leafs have is that right now, if you look at the standings in the Eastern Conference, the Metropolitan Division, which is the New York area, so Washington, well, it's supposed to be the New York area and, and the Eastern part. Washington's in first with 43 points. Columbus has 37. Pittsburgh is next with 36. But in the Atlantic, all three teams, Tampa Bay, Buffalo, and Toronto, all would be in first place in the Metropolitan Division. So Toronto is going to have to play probably maybe Buffalo in the first round, probably Buffalo in the first round. If they win that, probably Boston so they can't beat Buffalo, or at least they have great difficulty with Buffalo. Next up is going to be Boston. They have all kinds of problems with Boston. And if they win that, they might and probably will have to face Tampa Bay, who they clearly can't beat. People are saying, why are we not in the old days of the standings when number one got number 16 or one and eight, depending on how you want to do it? Where's the, where is the reward in the NHL right now? if you finish highly, but you end up having to play a much higher team than someone else that finishes below you. There's a team that could finish fifth and play a lower-ranked team than Toronto if they finish second. They, um, when attendance was struggling in the National Hockey League and they tried to build these rivalries, um, that was an important component because, you know, Columbus weren't drawing particularly well in the new franchises, and if you've watched... They wanted all the new franchises to play the high-profile teams. Um, and that's where it's born from. It's not born from, and, you know, a lot of it was geography, too. I mean, the reality is, wouldn't it be fun if the Islanders and the Rangers played every year they were in the playoffs? And I'm surprised they don't do it and say the two closest component or combatants will play. And it won't matter what the standings are. That would mean if Ottawa and Toronto or Ottawa and Buffalo or Buffalo and Toronto were in, they would play. 
But it just goes back to trying to build those age-old rivalries uh, that didn't exist for the new teams and build them. Um, we've talked about this. We generally talk about it during playoffs, but I, I, I'm not sure I, I concur with the first and the uh, 16th team because it makes no sense likely that San Jose and, and uh, the Leafs would play off in the first Why not? round. Why not? Um, if, you're the, if you were whoever, let, let's say it's probably going to be Tampa Bay that finishes first. Why should Tampa Bay not have the opportunity to have the weakest possible team? If you finish first, why should you not get the weakest team first? Well, that's your benefit. That's your payment for finishing first and having a great well, year. My, my argument for that would be, I would argue that um, the first plays the eighth in the East. I think that's an easier argument to have for, for, for this point and this reason, that it's easier on the athletes. And if you want the best hockey you can get and you've got a time frame, I don't think it serves the fans and or the players as well when we're talking about ice time and top guys playing in the playoffs 22 minutes and then traveling back on a three-hour time slot difference and then playing the next day. And I, I think you can make an argument that that doesn't suit well, but I think if they started – even if they started with this and started the first-place team play the eighth-place team. And you're right, they're all in the Eastern time zone, and they all travel by charter, and they can all come home after the game if need be, so that's no big deal. I think going across the continent doesn't make quite as much sense. What would be your idea if you had a choice of any playoff format? You can make one up. You can go with one that's already existed. I'll tell you, while I'm letting you think of that, because I'm dropping that one cold on you, my idea of what I would love to see, because I think it would be great entertainment and I think it would be unbel- it would add an unbelievable layer of compelling interest to it. First place team gets to pick what their playoff opponent is of the other, in each conference of the other seven. So if Tampa finishes first, they get to choose whichever team they want to be their first round playoff opponent. And then second gets to pick whoever's left and third. And now, if you are a team that picks, not only if you're the team that gets picked by Tampa, you've got all kinds of motivation because they obviously think you're the soft touch, but you're match. it may not be the eighth team. Tampa may match up better with another team. Another team may have a lot of injuries. I think, f- first of all, that night of television, while they draft this thing, would be compelling. People would watch that in droves. And the interest level then and how these teams would do and the chance that you could pick a team that would be so motivated to knock you out because they disrespect you, I think that would be fantastic. It would be interesting. Um, and some of it could come down to the health of the team you're picking. Sure. Like uh, Washington might be in fourth place, but Ovechkin and their top goalie just broke their ankle and their leg collectively in the last game. They're going, this is easy. We're picking a fourth place team. We might look nuts. I've only been involved in that once. It was the first year I was a GM a lot of years ago. That you got to pick your opponent? Yeah. And how did that go? Uh, we were we were 28 and 4. We picked Milton who had won 5 games and they beat us out in 7. And that can happen. That's but that's the compelling part of it. So I lobbied to get rid of that. We were in we were in sen- senior single A for another Three years, we never lost a playoff or never lost a playoff round after that. But we had to get rid of that. They were so mad, and it was so easy to make the pick. It wasn't like we went out in the limb and said, "Let's get rid of the second place team early." Just 
Their but, general manager was cocky and arrogant, and it spilled out into our team. But and, the difference is, in that particular case, you had a team that had a bad year versus a team that had a great year. So yep. it was a, it was a logical, easy, obvious one. In the NHL now, you don't get into We're the playoffs. We're still play- lost. I hate it. I know, but in the NHL, you don't have a bad team getting in the playoffs. So it's not like no. there's an obvious, obvious no. one out there. It no, is, you know what? And, and, and a team, I, I, I don't see that happening. I find it an interesting conversation, though. But you could see a team that doesn't draw well wanting to pick their best draw. Could be. Saying you could have owners in meddling and, in this thing. And I always look at it and, and I and I really believe this that you know, once in a while you run into a to a, a team that's that's presumably gonna win the championship and I've had guys say, Well, we don't want to play them first. Well, if we're not good enough to beat them, we can't win the Allen Cup. I mean you got to win a Stanley Cup. You got to be some good teams. You may as well start off with a good team. Well, let me. Like throw if you're not good enough to beat that team, you're not going to win a Stanley Cup anyway. So who cares? Well, except that, depending on how the thing goes, if you are first, then you get to play the eighth place team first, and then the second time you get to play the lowest remaining team. You do have a, you do have an easier path, presumably, to the finals or to the championship than if you have three really hard opponents in a row. Well, like the scenario you started out, Toronto could conceivably play Buffalo, Buffalo or Boston, Boston, Tampa. That would be their three, possibly, to get to the Cup final. That's a th- that, those are three teams that give the Leafs nightmares. That's a suddenly now every Leaf fan that's watching this is going. We have no chance. Not if we got to play those three teams. The way the Leafs, the way the Leafs uh, have advanced recently in their first round, if they get a pick, should be Seattle. You know what? The other option, though, with that pick idea, what if you were to take the the first for winning the president's trophy or whichever your conference championship is the best team in your conference, you get to set the whole playoff matchups for your conference. So you get to pick you, who you play, but also who each of the other teams plays and how the um, how the triangle is going to go. Well, I see that uh, would be awesome. But the first place team doesn't mean it's the best team in a division. But they came you, first. The, the, I understand that. But if you and, and this has happened before, you can get one team that's that's outstanding, and they're playing against the three other were, three non-playoff teams. They're artificially in first place. Fair, fair enough. But but if it's you like were, baseball in the East. But if, if you, you win the, the East, yeah. East American League East, you are a hell of a baseball because team. you played Boston or New York a lot of yeah. times. And all, yep, no. Baltimore, Toronto. I, I I would love to see them try this though. Some version of this. Except I don't think any NHL GMs or owners would do it because of what you just said. The risk that if you make the wrong pick and you end up losing, you look like an idiot. And no GM wants to add that level of difficulty, degree of difficulty to his his resume. Agreed. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I'm going to bring Will into the conversation here. Will is in tonight. He's on the other side of the glass. Will, I got a question for you. What is the worst job you've ever had. The wor- Don't say this one because somebody might be listening. I will not. Um, the worst job. Oh, I can think of a couple. But you know what? I'm going to have to say uh, one I had involved with the YMCA, which frequently involved me having to clean up what toddlers left behind in bounce houses. When you say left behind, oh, any number of things. Once you get a once you get a small human shaken up, 
bouncing around. Are we talking like protein spills mostly? (laughs) Yes. Yep. I see. Those kind of things. Not not little stuffed animals. Like not little stuffed. Oh, sometimes partially (laughs) partially used lunch. Yes. Okay. Gently used. In a bounce house, which keep in mind, uh, they're not sealed tight. There's air seeping through. It makes things bubbly. Nice. Very Mm. nice. Yes, I could see how that would be a bad job. My apologies to everyone listening. No, no, we understand. I I was at Wonderland one time, and this was years ago, and they had to shut down one of the rides and bring people in, and they referred to it that it was shut down because of a protein spill was the actual (laughs) terminology. So I guess, you know, you, you go where people's stomachs are churning, and that happens. What then, on the flip side, and again, leaving this job out, because we know this is the best job you've ever had, but what is the best job you've ever had other than this one? Hmm. (laughs) What would be, let me change the question. What would be the dream job other than this one? If you could do one thing, I don't care how crazy it is. I don't care how nuts it is. What would be the one thing? Doesn't matter what the money is, what anything. The yeah. one thing you wish you could do if you could do anything. Dream job? Let's uh did I kind of have it already, but writing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, writing. That is a um all right, that's a good job. I would I would support that. Yeah. Well, here is what I think may be the best job anyone has ever possibly offered ever in the history of time. Oh, you're right. I should have said something like cinnamon bun inspector or whatever. Well, that would be good yeah. too. Yes. No, no, not that. Oh, well, okay. Now just a second. Before I come up with this, I'm sure having thrown out the idea of food, there probably could be better jobs in this one that I'm going to come up with. <laughs> okay. But this is pretty good. This is right up there. A British family. In fact, the story describes them as a wealthy British family, which probably is very important to this story. I should include the wealthy part. A wealthy British family has made plans that this year they are going to travel the world. And they have stops to make. They've already planned this out. They have got stops to make in at the Formula One Grand Prix in Monaco. They are going to Abu Dhabi. They are going diving in the Maldives. They are going to Mardi Gras, New Orleans. They're going to the fest, uh, the Carnival in Rio. They're skiing in Val d'Isere. I mean, this is, this is the trip of trips. This is the worldwide do all the cool, expensive stuff in the cool, expensive places that you can possibly find. So far. Where does the job come in? <laughs> exactly. The job comes in that they want to be able to do all this stuff and they want to be able to remember all this stuff, but they don't want to be bogged down having to take pictures of themselves because you want to participate in all these things. So they are hiring for $100,000, a photographer, all expenses paid, accommodation, food, travel, everything for one year for a hundred grand, a photographer to travel along and capture their vacation on film or whatever else (laughs) for them. Oh my gosh. That may be the greatest job anyone has ever come up with. Yep, that is. That wins, hands I, down. I think that now, the only downside, I, I mentioned it to a couple of my photographer friends at The Spectator today. I said, I don't want you to leave, but check this out. <laughs> and I, the only downside to this, Will, do you, can you guess what the downside might be on this one? There's only one downside that was brought up, and and I think there's probably a very realistic chance this is accurate. If you're a family that is willing to pay a hundred thousand bucks for someone to tag along and take pictures of you, what are the chances that you're a really demanding, really annoying, really, 
you know, yeah. kind of family that a week into this thing as the photographer, you're like, okay, enough, dude, I get it. Give me my thousand bucks for this week and send me home. I've had enough of you guys. Could you imagine what the potential is if you've got kids on this vacation, what those kids are going to be like? That's the only downside. But if you could, if you had the social skills that you can work your way through, this sounds like the job of jobs. Yeah. I mean, it, it, some people I can think of, they would be able to just absorb it all and then turn it into art later on once they've got their it's money. <laughs> you know, the best part about this, you imagine if you finished this whole thing and then went home and went, oh, the camera was broken, the disc, it didn't, <laughs> I didn't capture the images, the disc. That would be a bad thing, but boy, what are a job. They, are they going to ever sort through the pictures though? That's there. There will be a billion photo, a billion photos taken. That that would be the, the other part of this. And and which one do you make as the main picture? Yeah, yeah. You'd, you'd probably have to deal with them demanding you retake it because someone had just the wrong shadow cast on their nose. What a job though. If you know how to take pictures and you have a camera better than your iPhone, I think that would probably be a priority or a, pri- you know, a requirement. Job's out there for you if you can find it. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.